0: Are we fat because we overeat, or do we overeat because we're getting fat? You're listening to ReachMD XM 160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell. My guest today is Gary Tobbs. Gary is a contributing correspondent for the Journal Science and a Robert Wood Johnson Foundation Independent Investigator for Health Policy at the University of California at Berkeley School of Public Health. He is the author of Why We Get Fat and What to Do About It and Good Calories, Bad Calories, Challenging the Conventional Wisdom on Diet, Weight Control, and Disease. Hi, Gary. Welcome to ReachMD.
1: Hi, Lisa. Thank you for having
0: me. Gary, in your new book, Why We Get Fat and What to Do About It, you present evidence against the calories in, calories out hypothesis, and you present ways of thinking about obesity and excess fat that are not new ways of thinking but just not universally accepted. Why?
1: Because I think that we went down a very uh, expensive, very almost tragic blind alley when we got hooked on this idea that obesity is caused by uh, an energy imbalance, taking in more calories than we expend. You know, I just had the opportunity as a journalist, a science journalist, to read in effect all the relevant literature going back to the 19th century. And prior to World War II, when all the meaningful medical science was done in Europe and particularly the science that was relevant to obesity, genetics, endocrinology, nutrition, metabolism, they saw obesity as a disorder of fat accumulation and so the regulation of how the fat tissue is regulated. And if you look at it that way, you come up with an entirely different cause for the problem than eating too much and exercising too little.
0: Well, given the knowledge of our listening audience, let's move straight to the meat of your argument. Why do you think we're getting fat?
1: You know, we could start just with the idea of what puts fat in a fat cell. And this is the fundamental argument. It's a, it's a hormone insulin that puts fat in a fat cell. If your audience goes and looks, uh, picks a biochemistry textbook off their shelves or an endocrinology textbook and looks up adipocyte, which is the technical term for fat cell, they'll learn all the ways that insulin puts fat in a fat cell and keeps it there. If you're going to get fat, if insulin levels are elevated, and the only way to get lean, and this has been known since the 1960s, the only way to get fat out of the fat cells is to lower insulin levels. And the catch is our insulin levels are more or less determined by the carbohydrates we eat.
0: If it's insulin levels, what about our sedentary lifestyle? I thought it was us sitting around too much that was getting us fat. Here's the point.
1: If you increase fat, if you start getting heavier... This is what the laws of thermodynamics tell you. If somebody gets heavier, if something gets heavier, it has to take in more calories than it expends. So once your insulin levels start going up, once you start storing calories as fat, you have to compensate. And you're going to compensate either by eating more or exercising less, being less physically active. And what we think of as the causes of getting fat, this overeating and taking in more calories than we consume, is actually the effect of this hormonal dysregulation of the fat tissue. And there are a lot of different ways to think about it. But, you know, and again, I hark back to this pre-European research. And they said, look at the difference between men and women, or better yet, boys and girls. So boys and girls start off pre-puberty with virtually the same amount of fat on their bodies. And then they both get larger through puberty, and the boys lose fat and gain muscle. And the girls gain fat in hips and butt and breasts. And so they both get heavier. They both have to take in more calories than they expend. But that says nothing about why the boys lost fat and gained muscle and the girls gained fat. All of that was controlled by hormones, growth hormone and sex hormones.
0: Well, let's talk about that for a bit. What role do hormones play in weight gain?
1: They control it almost entirely. You know, and again, I hate to knock the medical research community on a show for doctors, but You know, as early as the 1920s, doctors were arguing that obesity was not a hormonal problem when they knew nothing about what hormones were and how they worked and what they did. Back then, you know, uh, endocrine glands were still referred to as ductless glands. And this thinking stuck with them, and it gets repeated over and over again, because the only people, they thought obese people evoke hormones as an excuse so that they don't have to eat in moderation and exercise just like lean people do. But the point is, obesity is a hormonal problem. Hormones and enzymes determine fat accumulation. Very fundamentally, it's been you know known since the 1960s, we know which hormones play a role. And when a doctor says or a nutritionist says it's all about overeating, they're completely ignoring the hormonal and enzymatic regulation of the fat tissue.
0: What about genetics?
1: I think genetics play a major role. We've known that obesity, that fat accumulation you know, is, has a large genetic component, but much of that genetic component will be dictating how people respond to the carbohydrates in the diet. You know, lean individuals are burning those carbs. The technical term is fuel partitioning. They're partitioning that fuel to energy use. People predisposed to get fat are partitioning fuel towards storage. And the fuel that's the, the hormone that's determining and the enzymes it interacts with, again, is insulin, more than any other hormone and we're back to the carbohydrates and the diet.
0: So we hear all the time, low-fat diet, move more, eat less. These are the messages that our patients are hearing. I think in the medical community, we hear lots of mixed messages, but that's what the patients are hearing. So can you give us something simple that we can use to help explain in this 10 or 15-minute visit that we have with a patient?
1: You know, it's very simple. Carbohydrates are literally fattening. The easier they are to digest, the higher the glycemic index, and the more sugars in them, and by sugars I mean sucrose, you know, table sugar or high fructose corn syrup, the more they're ultimately going to raise insulin levels. So right now you've got basically you have a patient comes into your office or overweight or obese, they have a hormonal defect, you know, putting it brutally, and that hormonal defect is a response to the carbs in the diet. So now you tell them to eat less and exercise more, which is the wrong treatment. You know, that's not the problem. The problem is the carbs and their effect on insulin and the effect of insulin on the fat tissue. If you explain to them that these certain carbohydrate-rich foods are literally fattening, you know, you'll begin to get the message across to them. And the irony here, it would be amusing if it wasn't so tragic, is until the 1960s, the conventional wisdom was that carbohydrates were fattening. There's a line I quote in the book. It's the first line of a 1963 article on nutrition written by one of the two leading British dietitians of the era, and it's every woman knows that carbohydrates are fattening. You can find that idea in the literature over and over and over again, going back to the 1820s. Pasta, bread, potatoes rice, easily diced. carbohydrates, anything made from flour, sweets, you know, sugary juices, beer are fattening. If you don't eat them, you'll lose the fat you
0: have. If you're just joining us, you're listening to ReachMD XM 160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, and I'm speaking with Gary Tobbs, the author of Why We Get Fat and What to Do About It and Good Calories, Bad Calories. And we're discussing why we get fat. So Gary, let's go back to the basics. Walk us through the process of what happens after we eat a meal of both carbohydrates and fat.
1: Well, what happens is essentially the fat is stored pretty much immediately. So you do store the fat you eat. What should happen is this. You should store some of the calories as fat and burn the carbohydrates that are released into your bloodstream as glucose relieving sugars out of it for the moment. So the carbs are, you know, digested, they're broken down in the gut, they get into the bloodstream, blood sugar goes up, you're secreting insulin to control the blood sugar, the insulin is telling, you're, you know, facilitating the flow of the glucose into the muscle cells to be burned and into the fat cells to be stored and the fat is being stored. And now what should happen as your body's working properly is that blood sugar starts to come down and insulin levels start to come down. More fat is released from the fat tissue. And as the insulin comes down, your muscle cells start burning. The mitochondria in the cells start burning fatty acids instead of glucose. So the fats there are sort of a short-term energy supply. Like you go to the ATM, you get some money, you put it in your wallet, and you spend it all day long. And when you get down to a certain level, you go back to the ATM you know, your fat, as you, the insulin levels are coming down, you're burning the fatty acids that are released from the fat tissue, and this should balance out over the course of a day or over the course of a month so that everything you put into the fat tissue comes out of the fat tissue and is burned for fuel. The problem is, as you start, you know, the high glycemic index carbs, you secrete a lot of blood sugar, you get a, the higher blood sugar rises, you secrete more insulin so your insulin levels stay elevated a little bit longer than they should. And here's where sugars are probably the fundamental problem because sugars, sucrose, and high-fructose corn syrup are both roughly 50-50 glucose and fructose. And the fructose is metabolized primarily in the liver, and there's a lot of evidence suggesting that that is the fundamental cause of insulin resistance. And once you become insulin resistant, then you secrete more insulin to all the other carbs in the diet. And you could imagine a situation where all you have to do every day is keep insulin levels up a little too high so you store 20, 30 calories more in your fat tissue every day than you burn. So this exquisite balance that our bodies evolve to work with is put out of whack, just the tiniest little bit towards fat storage. And if it's 20 calories a day, that's 2 pounds of fat a year, that's 20 pounds of fat in a decade, 40 pounds of fat You know, between your 20s and your 40s. You go from being lean in your 20s to obese in your 40s and all of the problem, again, is, you know, even though we store the fat we eat, it's the carbohydrates that control how that fat is used.
0: So if we stop eating carbohydrates or decrease our high-glycemic index foods, how will we feel better?
1: Basically, you reverse all the problems. I mean, there's another issue we didn't even talk about is obesity, as we know, is associated with a lot of chronic diseases, diabetes and heart disease first and foremost, but also cancer and Alzheimer's high blood pressure, obesity, you know. Metabolic syndrome is a syndrome which includes hypertension and then is a kind of pre-obesity, pre-diabetes, pre-heart disease. You know, what I've been arguing is all these diseases are fundamentally caused by these fattening carbohydrates, which are the high glycemic index carbs and the sugars. When you remove them, you, in effect, reverse these diseases. And it's always sounded like quackery because you're saying, a, first of all, you're saying there's a unified field theory of disease. They're all caused by the same thing. I mean, the medical community does that now anyway. They just blame sedentary behavior or chronic overnutrition, which was a part of the title of a lecture, a seminar I just got a press release for today from the New York Academy of Science. And what I'm saying is it's not you know, this chronic overnutrition concept or overeating, It's the effect of the carbohydrates on the insulin, which leads to metabolic syndrome. And once you have metabolic syndrome, now you have a whole cluster of metabolic abnormalities that are playing havoc all through the body.
0: So how do you change a patient's belief system? I work in a primary care practice where we have a lifestyle change program that's been very successful using exactly what you're talking about. And our patients, they've not only lost weight but they're sleeping better, the anxiety, the depression has improved, their gout gets better, their heart disease, everything, they get healthier, their diabetes, their hypertension. We've seen these amazing physical changes. But even with that, when we're not working with them constantly, they go right back to those old behaviors because it's it's the way they've been eating for 30, 40, 50 years. How do you change that?
1: Well, there's two fundamental issues here. First, it's the belief systems I'm worried about are not the patients, it's the physicians and the medical researchers. So you've got to change their belief systems, because if they knew what they were doing, if they were saying to their patients, look, carbs are fattening, that's the problem. I'm sorry we've been giving you the wrong advice about dietary fat and exercise. Don't eat the carbs. Chances of anyone ever saying that are very slim, and certainly not the American Heart Association, but... You know, that's the first thing we got to do. So if the doctors understand what's going on and they're giving the right advice and they're phrasing it in the right way. And then the other problem is these foods are addictive in some very fundamental ways. Not the way we think of as drugs being addictive, although that's going on as well. But if your insulin levels are elevated, the insulin signaling to the mitochondria through this, it's called the malonyl-CoA pathway, to burn carbs and not fat or protein. So if you're hyperinsulinemic which you're pretty much bound to be if you're overweight or obese, uh, a large proportion of the public is, then your body really only wants to use carbs for fuel. It doesn't want to burn fat or protein. And so you're always going to crave them. And you're dealing with the situation just like any other addictive drug now. You know, I have the advantage as a journalist that I'm an ex-smoker. And, you know, smoking has an enormous recidivism rate, but it doesn't stop the doctors from telling the smokers, quit, 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 because you're going to get lung cancer or heart disease if you don't. Mm-hmm. And what happens here is it's hard for the public to realize. And then when they're getting, they're getting the opposite feedback from not just from the medical community. And I get emails all the time from people who say, you know, I went on the Atkins diet three years ago. I gave up carbs. I lost 60 pounds. But then, you know, my doctor said I was killing myself, so I went back to the carbs. I gave the weight back. You know, So they, they don't get any support on these diets. Their friends think they're engaged in you know some kind of fad diet. This stuff is referred to as a fad diet, even though it's the low-fat diet that's the fad. Right. And so what we have to do is change the environment around the patient.
0: I think you're definitely getting headway. I believe that a big portion of the medical community agrees with you, and I believe the patients do as well. But it's easier to hold on to the old belief systems for both. But I think things are changing, so we appreciate you coming on the show.
1: Okay, thank you, Lisa.
0: I'd like to thank my guest, Gary Tobbs for keeping us thin and healthy.